This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Star Diary, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Greetings listeners and welcome to Star Diary, a weekly guide to the best things to see in the Northern Hemisphere's night sky. As we're based here in the UK, all times are in BST. In this episode, we'll be covering the coming week from the 3rd to the 9th of July. I'm Ezzy Pearson, and I'm joined this week by Paul Manny. Hello there, Ezzy. Hello, Paul. Good to see you again. So, can you tell me what we've got to look forward to in this month's night sky? Well, we're hanging on to those inferior planets. I always think inferior planets sounds sad, doesn't it? Sort yeah. Of thing because, because, you know, the inferior. No, no, they're, they're quite superior to us, really. They've got some fantastic features on them. Mars and Venus, of course, we're talking about. I, for years, <laughs> thought they were interior planets because they're that would be inside sense, the it? Earth. Yeah. I mean, it's yes. probably like if you look into the etymology of the words, it's related. But, yeah. Yes, of course, the inner planets are the inferior ones and the outer planets are the superior mm-hmm. ones, which makes you think that's why Jupiter thinks it's the king, it's <laughs> superior. <laughs> I think that's more to do with the fact that it can eat all of the others and fit them inside. But... <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, we're sticking with the evening sky at the moment. And yes, we're, we're back with Venus and Mars. They, Mars now makes that almost perfect apex of a shallow triangle, uh, with Venus to the right, lower right. And then, uh, ironically, Regulus is almost level with Mars. Now, Regulus is in a bright background. We've got a bright sky. So the key here is sort of use a pair of binoculars. Should be able to get them all in the field of view of a, a good 10 by 50 or 7 by 50 binocular. And, uh, you should be able to pick out this very faint star to the left of Mars. But Mars is to the upper left of Venus as well. This is on the 3rd of July, around about 11 o'clock. If you leave it any later, they'll set. So we are getting to that period whereby we have this short period sort of thing as the sky, the sun sets, and then it gets, they set too quickly. So uh, we don't have a lot of time sort of thing, about an hour and a half or such, which sounds a lot, but trust me, when you're looking towards the horizon, things seem to get to the horizon rather quicker than you expect. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's that sort of, it's kind of like the same thing as the moon illusion. So the moon illusion, when the moon is closer to the horizon, it looks bigger because you've got more of a flame, frame of reference. And I find it's a very similar thing with stuff that's when it's moving to the horizon, because yeah. you, you can't tell how far something's moving across the top of the sky. But when you can see it like next to a tree or something, it suddenly seems much faster. 
It is. It's a matter of perspective, isn't it? Mm -hmm. sort of you, when you've got familiar objects, you can you know where they are, so you can see the movement quite quickly. But high up, well, you know, you, I'd, I'd challenge anybody with a naked eye to look and see, can you see the movement of the moon? You, I'm, I usually wait at least an hour, and then you think, oh, yeah, I can see one or two stars. The positions are slightly different. And the same as it, at the moment with Mars and Venus as well, but we haven't got many stars because of the twilight. Now, Mars will creep closer to Regulus during the course of the week. But the big problem is, of course, they're getting lower and the skies are quite light. So the light evening nights are really not helping them as such. But this is why we've got Venus. Venus is acting as a guide. It's a brilliant planet. I mean, you can't mistake Venus. Although, having said that, we're not far away from a, a, a regularly used RAF base. So I have seen some bright lights going across and realise it isn't Venus. <laughs> it's actually one of the typhoons taken off as such. So, you know, so I do bear, if it's moving, it could be the International Space Station as well. So that's another mm -hmm. thing to bear in mind because that will be over in the West as well. Of course, we don't do the timings for that simply because they can vary. We could say one night the timing, and I've literally had it done to me. They, they raised the orbit the next night. Yeah. So it totally changed the timings. <laughs> and to be honest, these days there are so many satellites that people can see. Gen generally, you can't see them if you're visually observing. It's only if you're doing astrophotography that you need to worry about most satellites. But there are websites that you can go online and find out where those are. Um, we have have a guide if you want to try and find where the ISS is on any given night on the website as well. I'll put a link down to that in the show notes if you are interested in finding out more. And of course, if it's passing over, give it a wave. <laughs> Let them know someone's thinking of them. Yes, exactly. Quite far away from her. Actually, some some astronomers a couple of years ago, actually, some group of American astronomers uh, that I know, actually did do an experiment with an astronaut on board. I think it might have been Don Petit, but I can't remember exactly. And they deliberately aimed green lasers up and they were able to see it from the ISS. <laughs> this little group of people with these lasers pointing up sort of thing. Of course, we don't usually recommend green lasers sort of thing because they are very powerful. No. But they were doing this for a very specific experiment to see how visible they would be from the ISS. I'm, I'm going to put a disclaimer on that one. I am pretty sure pointing lasers up into the sky is illegal in the UK, um, or at least it's illegal to point them at other uh, at, at vehicles, um, at planes and such. ISS is probably a little bit out of that jurisdiction, but yes, please don't point lasers into the sky uh, unless you have a lot of licenses saying that you can. <laughs> <laughs> now, we often miss out the points of things like full moon unless there's an eclipse, but I particularly like this one where on July the 3rd, the full moon actually lies down in Sagittarius. And the only reason why I pointed out is that when it's in Sagittarius, it's really low. But the ironic thing is we've got the light summer nights. So the full moon doesn't have as big an impact on the night sky when it's low down in Sagittarius and it's in the summer as it would do, say, a full moon in the wintertime when it would be high up in the dark sky. So ironically, full moon doesn't have that much of an effect for observers at this particular time of year, simply because of its position and the fact that we have got light nights as well. But it is full moon on the 3rd of July. So uh, have a look at that. Because people do like looking at the moons, don't they? They do like looking at mm -hmm. full moons. Um, they're often talking about, you know, seeing whether they can see the difference. Again, it goes back to what we said earlier. I mean, physically seeing the difference is very difficult visually to actually see the difference from one. Can you remember what the moon size looked like a month earlier? No. I certainly can't. I don't think I know anybody who actually can. The moon but, is always smaller than I think it is. Yes. Which is exactly. it's that, that thing again of, of having 
very little frame of reference when you're looking at things up in the night sky. I was always made when I was a kid to read that you could blot it out with your little fingernail. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I held up my arm at arm's length and put it up and I was, I was absolutely amazed. The moon disappeared behind my finger. Yeah. You know, and you do think it's huge, but uh, it, it, it wasn't and it isn't, I'm afraid. Now, we'll stick with the moon because we have to jump a, a few days ahead because we haven't got a great deal happening this month. And uh, so we, we jumped to July the 7th and 8th. And we're actually, again, now the moon is passing Saturn. So on the 7th, it's to the lower right of Saturn. Saturn is in Aquarius at the moment. And then on the 8th, it's actually to the far left of Saturn, but it actually forms, again, a shallow triangle with Neptune. But you've got to bear in mind, you won't see Neptune with the naked eye sky. So, you know, it's well worth having a look out for this and following the moon. And the moon does guide us to various other objects as well. We often use it to guide us to some of the more uh, prominent double stars along the ecliptic itself. On the 9th, the moon is then to the lower left of Neptune. But remember, you've got to have a, a decent telescope to actually look at, or binoculars if you just want to see the dot of Neptune, but a telescope if you want to look at the disk of Neptune itself to see any sort of features. But it does mean that, you know, we are still in the period of noctilucent clouds. And we don't mention it a lot because we've been, we have mentioned it quite a lot over the last few weeks. But now we're into July, we're into sort of the, the last full month of seeing noctilucent clouds. These are the night shining clouds over towards sort of like the, look towards the northwest in the evening and the northeast in the morning sky, morning twilight. These are night shining clouds. So everything else should be dark and these should be shining. Um, at, at the moment, at the time of recording this, Ezzy, I haven't seen any. And I've got friends who are saying, if you're hiding, stop hiding. Come out <laughs> wherever you are. You know, we're, we're getting a bit frustrated. So we'll keep it. We, I have heard of one little display that was seen from Denmark mm-hmm. and it was quite small, a display. So it would be a lot harder to see from the UK, but uh, fingers crossed. Yeah. We, we could, uh, but they, each season is different. I, I, I remember we've had seasons where it's been absolutely fantastic. We've had a lot of them. And then we've had seasons like this where we don't get as many displays at all. So, uh, you know, there's something to do with the warming of the atmosphere that can have a dramatic effect. It on is. Them. At the time of recording, we're in a period of very nice weather. Um, and because of the way that the, the climate works, uh, when it's very warm on the ground, that particular layer of the atmosphere gets very cold, which means you should technically have more noctilucent clouds. Uh, because they're formed from ice crystals forming on various dust particles up there. But also, the sun is very active at the moment. Um, lots of flares and things going on. And that means that a lot of that energy is getting pumped into those upper layers of the atmosphere, causing them to expand. And that will have an effect on whether or not these noctilucent clouds are going to be uh, happening or not. Um, and those are just the two things that I know about. It's a very complicated system with a dozen different things coming in um so be interesting to watch as they progress yeah yeah they are very unpredictable and at the moment the, the nasa aim satellite uh, at the time recording was was pretty much dead and that had been the one that gave us the biggest you know, advanced warning and could detect them i did read uh a couple of minutes ago that there is another satellite that is possibly taking over that role 
It's, uh, I'm sorry, the name is something like NOAA21. I think that's it. Yeah, no, you're right, because I saw the same report. So it's one of the NOAA satellites. So we'll have to see how that goes ahead and whether we get any more information about that, about whether it's going to be monitoring for noctilucent clouds from above um, and how those reports get disseminated. But keep looking out. You never know. And I keep, I live in hope, Eddie. I live in hope. <laughs> so there we are. That's uh, that week. It is a bit of a shorter week sort of thing. Some, sometimes that's the way it happens, doesn't it, with the sky? Yes. Thank you very much, Paul, for taking us through all of those. So in summary, on the 3rd of July, Venus, Mars and Regulus will be forming a shallow triangle that will be visible best around about 11pm, but it will set shortly after before midnight. Also on the 3rd of July, the full moon will be low in the sky in the constellation of Sagittarius, which means it won't have as a dramatic effect on the night sky as it might do when it's slightly higher. Then on the 7th of July, the moon will be directly below Saturn, moving across the sky on the 8th to form a shallow triangle with Neptune and the moon. And always keep an eye out for night shining clouds or noctilucent clouds throughout the week as well. And to keep up to date with stargazing highlights, be sure to subscribe to the Star Diary podcast and we hope to see you here next week. If you want to find out even more spectacular sights that will be gracing the night sky this month, be sure to pick up a copy of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we have a 16-page pull-out sky guide with a full overview of everything worth looking up for throughout the whole month. Whether you like to look at the moon, the planets or the deep sky, whether you use binoculars, telescopes or neither, our sky guide has got you covered, with detailed star charts to help you track your way across the night sky. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes or Spotify.